Let's look to the Lord in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this day. We ask you now to just open your words to us. Help us to to see more of you, to be more conformed to your image, to to be more Christ-like, and just to see how it is you reacted with your very enemies on the as you hung on the cross, as you dealt with sinful man and the sins of man, and just to see the beauties of, of your nature. And we just pray that you just show us more of yourself, help us to grow in your grace, grow in your knowledge, your knowledge of Christ. And just pray now that your Holy Spirit be upon us to, to just instruct us and teach us. Just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In our Bible study this morning, we looked at some of the last spoken words of Christ as he approached the cross, uh, the words he spoke to Judas, you know, the betrayer, words he spoke to Peter, you know, to put away the sword. Jesus pointed out, you know, he could bring legions of angels to deliver him, but, you know, God's will and God's plan and purpose for him was to go to the cross. You know, he witnessed the good testimony against Caiaphas and the the religious leaders that he was the very Son of God and that he would come and ultimately in power. You know, to Pilate. You know, to Herod he spoke nothing. To Pilate he pointed out, you know, that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And that Pilate had no power but what was given to him by God. Pilate thought he had the power, but all power in kings is comes from the king of kings. And as he neared the cross, they gave him, you know, the uh, the cross to carry. But ultimately, it was put in the hands of of Simon to to carry. But he turned to the daughters of Jerusalem and, you know, bewailed them. They were wailing, but you know he told them, too, to, to weep for themselves, not for him, for the things that would be coming upon Jerusalem. Because if you remember the people, when they uh, shouted, crucify him, crucify him, you know, when Pilate spoke to them, they said, well, his blood be on us and on our children. And so as he concluded his words, we approach now the cross and to bridge between the two, I want us to, to look at something that all four Gospels recorded. And that's how they led him. Matthew 27, verse 31, tells us after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Remember, he went through a lot of suffering as you know, at the hand of the the soldiers, you know, mocking him, smiting him. But notice the last phrase there, Matthew twenty seven, thirty one, is that they led him away to crucify him. And we saw this morning earlier that you know, he himself directed his crucifixion. You know, Judas thought he came and found him in the garden, but Christ approached them. You know, he went unto them. Well, the same way, you know, he goes willingly, you know, to as a lamb to the slaughter. 
Mark writes it the same way, basically, in Mark 15, verse 20. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Luke tells us, Luke 23, 26, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. Notice, as they led him away. And then finally, John. And all four focus on this point. Led away. John 19, verse 16. Then delivered he him, that's Pilate, delivering Jesus, therefore unto them, to the Roman soldiers, but also to the Jews. They weren't, you know, they themselves said his blood be on us. And they took Jesus and led him away. And so he went. They went willingly, you know, to do the will of the Father, to go to the cross. And so this morning I want us then to look now at the words he spoke from the cross. There are seven words each gospel has one or two. But there's only uh, no duplication except on one of them, which is in two Gospels. So we'll be looking. There's words of forgiveness that we'll look at first in Luke 23. Then words of salvation to the thief on the cross in Luke 23 also. Then in John 19, there's words of affection for his mother. But then we get into the words of anguish. This is the only ones that are recorded in two texts, both in Matthew and in Mark. Then his suffering, his very thirst in John. His victory, it is finished also in John. And then in contentment, into thy hands I commit my spirit in Luke. So as we look at these words, let's again seek to to see how Christ reacted with his enemies, the words he spoke on the cross, you know, how perfect all these things were. And so the first one then again, we'll start with Luke 23, verse 34. And we just read earlier, but let me pick up verse 32. And there were also two thieves, Luke 23, verse 32. There were two two others, malefactors, led with them to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now his words in verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast his lots. And so we want to focus on these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Because Jesus, you know, had come to earth. Remember, all through his his ministry, you know, he was not well treated. You know, when he when he came, you know, there wasn't even room in the inn for him. You know, then Herod seeks to slay him. You know, they flee to Egypt. You know, as he goes through his earthly ministry, you know, they attempt to kill him several times. Remember, his hour hadn't come, so he passes through. But, you know, now his hour had come, and they're prepared to do the the worst to him. And they do that. They crucify him, as verse 33 says. But verse 34 begins with the word then. Here they're crucifying Christ, but Christ... His reaction, you know, he doesn't, you know, if this were the disciples, they would have prayed for fire from heaven to to destroy, you know, those that were opposed to him. You know, or remember Samson, you know, when he's there with his enemies, he said, well, let me die with my enemies. But Jesus, he instead says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So our very first words from Christ are, you know, praying for forgiveness for the very ones that are there to destroy him or thinking they can destroy him. He's praying for the very ones that have nailed him to the cross, that have taken him there. You know, it says they crucified him, you know, his hands and his feet and put him upright between heaven and earth, you know, suspended. Remember, too, to be on a cross like that was to be cursed. You know, so and he had taken on the curse of sin. But he prays. He says, Father, forgive them. And this prayer, you know, among as he prays them, you know, these that have had a hand in it. And, you know, if we jump forward, you know, after the, the resurrection and the Holy Spirit came and Acts 2, we're told ultimately that the same day gladly received they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about three thousand souls. You know, Christ had prayed for forgiveness for these, and there were three thousand just in that one setting. You know, this prayer, you know. And he says, they know not what they do. You know, they did it in ignorance. Acts 3.17 actually calls it that. And Peter's preaching. Acts 3.17. I'll start at 15. He says, and you kill the prince of life, whom God had raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith and his name had made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, to the Jews, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it as also your rulers. You know, they should have known, but he says they didn't know. You know, God had not revealed it to them. And so they know not what they do. And as he puts it, they did it in ignorance. But ignorance, too, of, of God's law is a sin. You know, back in Leviticus, 
You know, even the law made reference to sins, you know, that uh, weren't known. You know, sins of ignorance, ignoring things. But he prays here for forgiveness for these things that they know not what they do. And he prayed to the Father, you know, to forgive them of their sins. You know, he taught, remember Christ taught much on forgiveness of sins. Both for, you know, forgiving others, but also the forgiveness and the power he had to forgive sins. Matthew 9, verse 2. When they brought to him the man sick of palsy lying on a bed... Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And in Luke 7, 48. When the woman came And anointed his feet and washed. She stood his feet weeping, washed his feet with tears, wiped them with the head, hairs of her head, kissed his feet. Remember the person that brought him, you know, had not washed his feet or given him a kiss or given him oil. But he said in verse 47 of Luke 7, he says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven thee. You know, he had power to forgive sins. And now he prays to the Father as he's hung on the cross, that these that know not what they do, that their sins be forgiven. But, you know, the justice of God demanded, you know, that there be a punishment for sin, you know, and Christ himself took that place because God's perfect judgment could not allow, you know, a sinner with sins uncovered. But he provided again the blood of Christ for that. So he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so likewise, in Isaiah, when he does this, you know, he's fulfilling, you know, a prophecy. Back in Isaiah 53, you're all familiar with that text. Who had believed our report. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Speaking of Christ. But in verse 12, it ends the last phrase. It says, he made intercession for the transgressors. So not only was he exhibiting forgiveness to them and praying for it to the Father, but he was fulfilling prophecy as well. That on the very cross, he would make intercession for them. And for the very enemies. And so from this, you know, we're taught again, pray for our enemies. Pray for those that oppose us. Even as Christ did, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. The next words to look at now are in Luke 23. And to kind of join this together, we'll just pick up at verse 35. Luke 23, verse 35. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou... Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our due deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So here's his second saying from the cross. Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Remember, as as everything on the cross takes place, that is all by the eternal decree of God. Acts 4, 27 and 28 tell us, For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So God carries out his sovereign will, his decree, and not just in the crucifixion of Christ, but also in the, the other details, the fulfilling of Scripture, as well as this other thief that was on the cross. You know, Pilate, when he condemned Christ to death, also, as as we read, there were two others. They're referred to as thieves, as murderers, as malefactors. One was put on his right hand, the other on the left. Christ was in the center of these three crosses. And this, too... Fulfill the prophecy, the same verse we were in in Isaiah 53, the phrase just before that he made intercession, or it's two phrases before, before he made intercession for the transgressors, says he was numbered with the transgressors, that he was put among them, you know, as a common thief. You know, there was no difference to most of the people looking at him. Here were three criminals, all condemned by Rome, all condemned to die. And remember, the the death on the cross, you know, was not an honorable death. You know, from the Jewish standpoint, you know, it was a death of shame. 
You know, it was a cursed death. You know, from the Roman standpoint, it, it was a brutal death, a terrible way to die. But that was the penalty that, you know, how Rome dealt with, you know, the people that, you know, were not conformed to their laws and their ways. And so here Christ is, you know, with these criminals. But what's interesting within these criminals, there's two of them. You know, and, and they both rail against him. You know, the text we read here in Luke, it, it refers to one of them, but in the other text we would find they both railed for a time. You know, they're both in the same condition. And you know, we see here uh, an example of the sovereign grace of God because here's two men that appear very similar in the same condition. You know, grace is going to come to one and the other. You know, last thing, you know, we hear on him, he's still railing. Railing, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. You know, same attitude, Caiaphas and others. We are you the Christ. You know, they didn't believe, even if he told them, they still wouldn't believe. But here's one that Jesus said today, you'll be with me in paradise. So these two thieves, you know, they're representative too of, of all sinners. You know, hopeless, condemned, suffering, without hope. You know, cursing God, not obeying Him. But one finds mercy and grace, and the other dies in his sin. So as we look at these words too, let's let's see what the thief said. And you know, the first thing, you know, is as he verse forty, he responds to the other thief, the one that kept railing. Remember they were they were both railing. But now something's happened to him. You know, the Holy Spirit, God has touched him, and suddenly the fear of God is upon him is the beginning of wisdom and he asks don't you does not thou fear God which tells you he now fears God he said don't you fear God seeing thou art in the same condemnation you know he sees the condition they have both in the same place we're about to face God don't you fear God but he has now he has more insight. The next verse he says, "We indeed justly, you know, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds." So now he sees, you know, we're sinners, we're condemned sinners, and we're deserving of this. We're deserving of this punishment. But he looks at Christ. The rest of forty-seven, he says, "But this man." This man had done nothing amiss. So he sees Christ sinless, you know, the very thing that Pilate had, had proclaimed upon him. You know, I find no fault in him. You know, they couldn't find any fault. They had to bring false witnesses. They had to twist his words to be able to condemn him. But he says, this man's done nothing amiss. 
And then he turns to Jesus and he says unto him, Lord, notice how he refers to him, not just a man, to the other criminal he referred to him as this man. But to Jesus he refers to him as Lord. You know, the same way Paul on the road to Damascus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So he sees not just this just man, but that he is the Lord. And he's the Lord who rules. Remember over the cross, we just we read that earlier. This is the king of the Jews. In the full script, if you take all of the, the Gospels, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. It was what Pilate wrote. Jews didn't want it written that way. Write it that he says he is. And Pilate said, no, what I've written, I've written. And it's written into the scriptures that he is the king of the Jews. And so the thief takes hold of this. And he says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You know, the kingdom Jesus, you know, with Pilate, he referred to his kingdom. It's not of this world. The thief now sees that there is a kingdom. It's the kingdom of Christ. Remember me when you come into this kingdom. And so he makes this plea. And Jesus hears and says unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, he answered, You know, truly, surely, I say unto thee. And not today, you know, the thief, you know, his knowledge isn't perfect, thinks this, you know, it's something in the future to come, and obviously his his return is. But Jesus said, No, today you'll be with me in paradise. Gives him more than he ask for so this one thief God grants salvation to he's among the children of God you know there in the last hour in his dying hour you know he is has his heart open his eyes open to Christ and therefore Jesus says, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And here's an example in scripture, you know, of, of one saved in his, his very last hour. You know, as obvious he never did any good works before. You know, he was a criminal condemned. He never did any good works after this either though, you know, he's, because obviously he dies, you know, he, uh, they have to ultimately break his bones. But, you know, he dies on that cross. He can, he never comes back to, to do anything more. But, you know, an example of, of God's grace upon him. You know, that's a comforting word, but it's also a warning word because, you know, there's not a lot of the examples like him. There's none other in, in scripture at the very last hour that they would have revealed to them the Christ. But there's a great picture of, of the grace of God. Sovereign grace on one. Two, two people to us that would look equal 
in all ways. But one, God remembers when he comes into his kingdom. Well, a third word to look at is his dealings with his mother. And we'll go to John for this one, John 19. John 19. Pick up at verse 25. John 19, verse 25. And we're told, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. So the third thing he spoke from the cross. Woman, behold thy son. To that beloved disciple who we know is, is John. You know, John writes the book of John and always never puts his name as, as the one, you know, he keeps all the focus on Christ. First himself always as that disciple that Jesus loved. And so here's John that he tells to behold thy mother. So here's at the cross. Again, you know, we saw earlier, you know, the women bewailing among these very well because they've come to the cross now is Mary his mother as well as his mother's sister and Mary Magdalene you know they all come to the cross they're standing there and remember Mary let's jump back to Luke you know Mary Luke 1 an angel had appeared to him, verse 26, to her. She referred to as the virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, casting her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So, you know, Mary, chosen by God to bear Christ, as a virgin, for him to be conceived in her. You know, she was told he would be great and that he ultimately would reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. Again, the kingdom. There shall be no end. But too, there was to be a sword with that as well. You know, Mary suffered, you know. Obviously, she suffered, you know, in her reputation 
during that time that she was with child. And yet, you know, they accuse her of that during Jesus' ministry, you know, of who his real father was. But, you know, Mary said, you know, let it, let it be, be so. And she bore Christ. You know, when she, when the Christ was born, remember, there was no room at the end. You know, he put him in a manger. You know, then Herod seeks to kill him. You know, Mary and Joseph and Christ step to flee to Egypt. And then during his ministry, she sees him rejected, persecuted. You know, now through all of this, now Mary is there at the cross seeing him being crucified. You know, this very one. And I mentioned the the sword, but let's let's go to Luke two. And what Simeon had told her. Luke two twenty nine. Simeon says now, Luke two twenty nine, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thou salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. And then in parentheses there you read in verse 35, he tells her, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so here as she stands, you know, a sword going through her own heart, obviously, seeing Christ being crucified, the very promised Messiah, the one whose kingdom was to have no end, but yet he's there on the cross. And at this point, it's, it's, it, you follow through scripture, there's been no mention of Joseph for some time, so, you know, obviously he died sometime after they went to the, the temple and this point in time. And Jesus being the oldest son, you know, it was his responsibility to care for his mother. And so what Jesus does is prepare that care, that honor that's, you know, commanded again. He fulfills all the law as well in everything he does. You know, Exodus 20 verse 12, it said, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And that honor was continuing, and so he, you know he's going to still prepare for her and show his love and affection to her by assigning her and making her, in essence, the mother to be cared for by the apostle John. And it's interesting to note when he does this. Remember earlier the disciples all scattered you know in the garden we we saw that this morning earlier that they all fled and again that was because none was to be lost but at this point john had returned to the cross 
and he now is there when Jesus looks at him, sees the disciple standing by whom he loves, and he says, Woman, or he says to that disciple, Behold thy mother. And this too signifies, you know, as we're brothers and sisters in Christ, a spiritual relationship. You know, there were other brothers. Obviously, we know that in Scripture. Born to Mary and Joseph. But Jesus assigns her to the Apostle John. And in all this, we should note too, you know, Mary was not blessed above women. She was blessed among women. She needed a savior too. You know, her exaltation back in, in Luke 1, we, you know, she referred to him as my savior. So, you know, any worship of Mary or Mary being the mother of God or any of those things are all falsehoods and of Satan. Because Mary was strictly a sinning woman as well, a sinner. You know, that God was among God's children, though. But she is not to be worshipped, nor did he put her on any elevation. In fact, he referred to her in, in the book of John. He'd always say woman as opposed to mother. But yet he shows his love and compassion to her. So he says, woman, behold thy son. But to John, he says, Behold thy mother. So we see his great care and love for his mother. I'm going to do the fourth word. And that's the word of anguish. And this is the one that's recorded. You know, it's in two Gospels. All the others, again, are only in one. Let's look at Matthew 27, 46. Now I'll start at 45 again. He's on the cross. Matthew 27, 45 reads, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And now let's read it from Mark, Mark 15. I'll start at verse 33, parallel passage. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So when we come to these words, you know, we, we suddenly, you know, we've seen the words of forgiveness. We've seen the words of grace. In the words of affection, but now there's anguish. You know, Christ is now crying out again. He's crying a text. 
that's out of the Psalms, you know, crying to his father, you know, for what, you know, he is going to, uh, or what he's already suffering. And let's go to that text for a minute. Let's go to Psalm 22. Because as David writes his psalms, some of the psalms are messianic. They speak, you know, David is crying out. But he also speaks of Christ. Psalm 22 verse 1 reads, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season and am not silent. So here he's crying. Here the Son of God on the cross. Remember, innocent. He was condemned. You know, there was no fault found in him. But he's taking upon himself the sins of his people. You know, the one that was the beloved son. Remember what God said, or the father said earlier, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But now, he's taken on the sins of his people. He's on the cross. You know, and God now, turning from him, God cannot look upon sin. Jesus, perceiving this, you know, asked, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. You know, Psalm 38, 21 says, Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. You know, we desire not to be separated from Him. You know, the, the, when He used the word forsaken, we all, you know, a forsaken city, a forsaken child. You know, forsaken is, is a terrible word in whatever situation somebody's in, but to be the worst would be to be separated from God, to be forsaken, you know, forsaken from the one whom he loved, you know, and who he had communion with. And so it's, it's a strong word, a strong emotion when he makes this, this plea, this cry, that why have you forsaken me? But he too knows why he has, because he has taken on the sins. He has become sin. And so, you know, he cries out to God, and there's, you know, there's not an answer right there. You know, God doesn't come and deliver him like he did send to Moses and deliver him as he delivered the, the Israelites. He doesn't send a, uh, a Samson or a Jephthah or somebody to deliver. But he leaves him there. Leaves him there crying. You know, we see, you know, what the sins have done. They put the Son of God upon the cross. First Peter 2.24 
And I'm going to start at verse 21. First Peter 2, 21. Peter writes, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So as he cries, these sins are upon him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as he's there on the cross, you remember again, he's there. Man's wicked hands have placed him there. But remember too, God's sovereign decree has placed him there. You know, Satan thinks he's going to have the victory. You know, or, but yet he'll only bruise. He will not destroy. But you know, Christ here dying for the just, for his people. And you know, as we, we think on, as he, he cries there and he's, he's full of the sins of his people, you remember God's holy, you know, holy, 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 the thrice holy God. You know, God cannot look upon him. And I'm going to read these little phrases here, you know, so holy is God that man cannot look upon him. So holy is God that the seraphims veil their faces before him. So holy is God that we cry as Abraham, I am but dust and ashes. So holy is God that Job said, Wherefore I abhor myself. So holy is God that Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So holy is God that Daniel said, There remaineth no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. So holy is God that we are told, He is of purer eyes, than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And so for all of this, you know, the Father turns his face. We pick back up in Psalm 22. And as that plea is made, Psalm 22 answers it with those same thoughts. Verse 3 Psalm 22, verse 3. Again, he's pleaded, Oh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, I cry, you're not hearing me. Verse 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So the holy God could not look upon him. You know, and Jesus, you know, knew this was coming. You know, in, in Matthew 26, you know, he he said his soul was exceeding 
sorrowful. And he prayed, you know, in, in his earlier prayers. Let me turn to Matthew 26 then. Let's pick up at verse 36. Because again, Jesus knew all things. He knew his hour. The hour had come. Matthew 26, verse 36 says, Then come at Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Then he cometh to the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And so Christ, you know, seeing this hour of need would come, forsaken of the Father. You know, he was sorrowful, sorrowful even to death. But notice he came to do the will of the Father. He does the will. He prayed there. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he said, I will drink this cup, this cup of suffering and of death. And he takes that cup, remains on the cross, you know, faithful to God. And still cleaving to him. Keep that in mind as well. You know, John 11, even though God's forsaken him, John eleven forty two says, I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. You know, thou hearest me always, but yet here he cries out. You know, you've forsaken me. John eight twenty nine. Earlier, he that had sent me is with me. The Father had not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. But now on the cross, the Father turns from him. Let's return to Psalm 22. And continue reading then verse 4. Our fathers trust in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying. He trusted on the Lord that he should deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. 
Remember how the crowd you know, mocked him and scorned him, even the thieves? Verse 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. Again, picture Christ on the cross. I am poured out like water on my bones or out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue cleave it to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. The Romans, the Jews, the religious leaders, all clamoring for his death. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste, help thee to help me. Deliver me, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. You know, Job had said, though he slay me, yet will I still trust him. In the same way, God says, I will be delivered. I'll declare thy name unto my brethren. So we won't cover the last three words today but just ponder upon these upon Christ's great words of of grace and mercy praying for his enemies you know hearing the the thief next to him and granting salvation to him caring for his mother in her old age with the disciple that he loved. And, and now this one is, he cried out to God, you know, being forsaken for taking on the sins of his people. But he sets an example. All these are set, you know, for our teaching that we be more conformed to his image. You know, and we too suffer, you know, adversities. Here he's in the worst of situations, but yet too he we see the very nature of God in him throughout each of these words as he's upon the cross. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we just ask you to teach us from these words. We ask you to instruct us to to be more like you, to be more forgiving of our our enemies to be characterized by a life of forgiveness, to, to acknowledge you, to see that you are the, the great omnipotent God, and 
that you have all power, that salvation is in your hand, and, and that you reveal it to those to whom you you will, to your children. And we just pray that we would just see more of you that would ever be focused upon your kingdom, not upon the things of the world. And we just pray, too, that we'd obey your commandments, that we'd be loving and caring for those you command us to be in our responsibilities. And we pray, too, that we'd ever look to you and and not cry out that you've forsaken us, but rather keep our eyes totally upon you, and knowing that you don't leave us nor forsake us, that Christ took upon himself our sins that we might not be forsaken of you eternally. And we just give you the thanks. We we pray that we'd be just awed at the the magnitude of of Christ's suffering on the cross and and how he suffered there as the very Son of God, Son of Man and Son of God. Just give you all the glory and praise. We pray that would be more conform to your image, just make us more like you each day. Just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.